0: Welcome to a very special Paradox of Civility. I'm your host, Roy Koshi, and with me uh, in person is Roman Reimer. Now, uh, for those of you who've been listening to this podcast, Paradox of Civility, you know that Roman has made appearances on it. Um, he's appeared on episodes 5, 9, 14, and 20. Welcome to the show, Roman Reimer. Thanks for having me, Roy. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to have you back here. Um, so... Um, I was doing the hate project as an experiment to learn about hate to actually allow hate mongers to come in and uh, talk to me about hate and um, how they became who they are Um, and I allowed them to express their real bigoted views I allowed them to um, be anonymous too and um, I you know while my intentions were certainly not bad um, I just feel like um, I've been questioning you know whether I just gave them another platform to be hateful, whether there was any sort of um, sort of reflection on their end of uh, you know the conversations that we had, like whether it even peaked any sort of self reflection on like why why they came to be how they are, um, and then I and so I've been questioning that. Obviously, that second one's hard to measure. I, I have no way of measuring that unless like I find these guys again. Um, So, um, and I remember Roman, you found, uh, this idea intriguing, uh, when I started it, um, you'd called in and said that it was an intriguing idea and, um, and, um, sorry. Uh, yeah. And I remember like you calling in a few times and then co-hosting with me, of course. Now, um, what, how do you feel about having a dialogue with, um, bigots or hate mongers or racists? What do you like in the, in the years that (laughs) have, Transpired. Obviously, a lot's happened. Yeah. Um, the show was taped between, the show aired between 2012 and 2013. Now it's 2019. So, how do you feel now about this sort of an experiment? Do you think it's worth it?
1: I think the idea of giving them a platform is definitely not. Of course not. I think not. now that we've, you know, I think it's also different between giving someone a platform and like asking softball questions like some of the mainstream media does yeah. versus asking someone like probing questions and saying, well, why do you believe this or what's at the heart of it? So, yeah. I think there that there's a difference there in terms of the intentions and also especially with mass media which is such a huge like they reach like millions of people and giving people like a a a platform to speak on that isn't a is not challenging them and b is also uh broadcast to, to the mass masses and i'd imagine something like your show is maybe more i think i would assume that more listeners are maybe more, like, in tune with what's happening and maybe not folks who are listening who are going to be listening to those folks with the intention of following what those people are saying yeah. in a way. Yeah, like, yeah. So I think that was – I mean, it's definitely a really – because the thing is, like, how do we stop them? And so part of me is, like, oh, we just fucking kill Nazis. That's one. Yeah. And I swear, is that all right? Of course, yeah, Okay, yeah, just yeah. second. No, it's an adult So, show. yeah. So, I mean, one thing is, like, okay, it, that's one, one way to stop people. And also, we – you know – the idea is to like prevent these things from happening again. So they're, then they're just, they, there does need to be that education. Yeah. Where to prevent folks from kind of going into that and like offering alternatives for people from following um, the, these hateful folks. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, those two, those can be like really two very different things where just, yeah. Yeah. I have, like, I think I have more, I don't think there's any, I don't really have any concrete answers about that yeah and i totally support all the anti-fascists who end up doxing people and like getting them fired and then i also think about how back in the you know late 30s and early 40s that we fought there was a war where people were just killing nazis and like why can't that come again yeah why is that not even a thing
0: yeah well, that's... And that's an interesting thing, like, looking at the 30s and the 40s in Europe and uh, Germany also. I mean, there was also... I think people... There's there's an assumption that, like, the war just happened and that was all. But the way that the Nazis came to power was uh, they were sort of legitimized by a lot of liberal forces, too. Um, kind of not not that far off from, like, what we're seeing today of, like, people saying, like, oh, just give them a chance, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, I with this show where I allowed people to express hatred um, I you know I, I wonder like whether I ended up being like one of those give them a chance people. I feel like there were times I pushed back on them. I feel like there were other times where I kind of maybe let things slide a little bit uh, let people be a little hateful in a way that was kind of crappy um, But yeah I think um, I, I sort of also feel used a little bit. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about liter- uh, listenership, like, with the Hate Project, I really thought that I would get more liberal listeners who are curious about, like, um, this sort of an experiment, or mm-hmm. left-wing listeners. Um, but the, a lot of the people who ended up participating in the Hate Project were, like, these uh, ha- hate mongers. Uh, there was a ch- chat that was going on during the show, and... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there was yeah, a chat going on, and so, like, they could just, you know, type whatever they wanted. Um... And so, um, and you know, like even with this show, this show is relatively a youngest show, so I'm not really sure what the listenership is. Um, but you know, it's like, it's just very interesting to me because, um, I maybe had altruistic views about like, you know, maybe like more lefty people would listen to it. Maybe other people would listen to it, um, beyond just hate groups. But then it just sort of felt like I was, uh giving just then when when I didn't have like that pushback except for a few callers except for like people like you there was a guy named Naj Radio who would call in an African American sports host who was great um and he'd bring some uh, really great arguments as well um and so I just wonder uh, how much of that was um was just being given a platform mm. yeah if I can go, oh, yeah. if
1: I can comment I think one thing also is that obviously something needs to be done and folks ignoring the problem or not confronting people clearly that that's not the right answer mm-hmm. so i think that also is important to be said that like something needs to be done yeah and so that's something i think that some folks might not think about where they i mean definitely the wrong answer is just to ignore people or yeah to pretend it's not happening or to gaslight folks to talk about it when it is happening
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great point. Um, it's, it's interesting like how, um, uh, yeah, not ignoring it is not an option, like ignoring it is not an option, but, um, also just sort of, um, treating it like it's sort of like, they're just like another, like wacky group is not an option anymore either because a lot of their talking points. And again, one of the reasons I'm revisiting this show is that, um, a lot of the talking points that these hate groups made back then and these folks who were calling in made are echoed in the white house right now or Mm -hmm. echoed in a lot of people who hold power um now i mean we can certainly acknowledge that white supremacist ideology and imperialism has guided america even with non-white leaders um but now it's just a lot more empowered and a lot more open um so you live in San Francisco, California, right? Yeah. Okay. And so San Francisco has this reputation, especially since the free love era and all the, like, well, for a long time, it has this era of being like this very liberal place, a very free place. Um, and, um, you know, anyone is tolerated. I lived there for a couple of years too, many years ago. Um, and uh, what's your take uh, just as somebody who is there? Um how, how do you feel about San Francisco?
1: Uh, the wealth disparity is incredibly large. so you have billionaires, millionaires, and then you have over thousands of people who are living on the streets and are homeless those, are, those are including children and families. yeah the I'll just spat out a few statistics just to get a general idea of what's happening in the city and has been happening. Yeah so over seventy percent of the folks who are on the street used to be housed in San Francisco. Yeah. so a lot of these folks are former res- they, are, they are still residents however they do not they no longer have uh, housing. Um, the shelter wait list is over a 1,000 people long on any given day. They have, a couple years ago, they authorized they call them sweeps, which is a, a terrible term, which means the Department of Public Works and the San Francisco Police Department will come in. So a lot of folks have um, either bought or been given tents just to seek shelter, and there, there was a lot of rain, there was really bad air quality. We've been having, as you can tell from climate change, yeah, even in the Bay Area, which has notoriously a good climate, has had a lot of difficulty yeah. um, and, and dangerous health conditions or weather conditions over the past few years. And so, especially for folks who are living on the street, they have even fewer barriers from that. Um, And so what these sweeps, which one of the board of supervisors introduced, um, which passed, unfortunately, because they, as many people who write legislation, they don't necessarily tell the truth about what's happening. Yeah. And many of the, the newer folks who are coming to San Francisco are like, oh, wow, someone's living on the street. And instead of engaging with that person or seeing how they can help or how they're, they have maybe caused that person to be unhoused in the first place, they're like, oh, I don't want to see that. I'm going to pretend that they don't exist. I'm going to call the cops on them. I'm going to do whatever I can to try to move these people away. However, the, the idea is, of course, move them to where? Where are people supposed to go? Yeah. They are a lot of times folks form Communities like it's easier for them to like be able to like live together in tents just so they can like rely on one another, especially if someone has to go get food or to watch one another's possessions, etc. Yeah, and so these sweeps involve, um, which is now it's legal, um, and of course we can go into the whole conversation of how things that are legal are not always moral and oftentimes are not sure. moral, yeah, and the sweeps happen, and so if people's belongings are taken, so their tents are taken, people's like if you have like ashes from a family member those have been taken medication oh, wow. like people's walkers like and they they the city has lied and said oh they bag and tag things so they people can just go to a certain place and pick up their belongings after they have been stolen pretty much however that doesn't happen people will go there and then they don't keep track of the items at all so considering so think about someone who was housed, they were unjustly evicted, they're living on the street, they have a few items, they have a tent at least, and then suddenly suddenly the city comes along using resources from the city, the money from the city to go along, take someone's possessions, steals them, and then so then you have even less of that. And these are a lot of folks who have experienced a lot of trauma, and this kind of just reignites that a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, suffered abuse, like a lot of folks who end up. I mean, there's like the statistics of folks who are either veterans, survivors of domestic violence, uh, a lot of queer folks who've been kicked out of their homes, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned veterans as well. So a lot of folks who have already suffered really difficult circumstances are then getting. Okay, so that's my so San Francisco. So that's what's happening right now. So right. when people say progressive San Francisco, I think. That is how maybe it was for a lot of folks years ago, but then I also need to go back to the gold rush and how gentrification has been in colonialism. It's been a kind of recurring this is just another incarnation of it,
0: yeah now you mentioned something that stood out to me that you just now mentioned was uh, a lot of homeless people in San Francisco currently they didn't start out homeless they didn't they're not like drifters. they didn't uh just kind of wander into the city and have a hard time. They actually were um. They paid their rent, they owned homes, and now they're homeless. Because I remember when I lived back in, like, when I lived in the Bay Area for a little while, um, that was sort of like a, a stereotype of homeless people. Like, there were people who were just like trying to make their way out to California. And, you know, and a lot of people sort of assumed, or a lot of people spread this sort of idea that a lot of people were just living on the street because, like, it was sort of like. They didn't want to be tied down, and San Francisco is like this great free love place, and they're mm-hmm. just drifting through and kind of like living that life, man. And uh, But you're saying that like a lot of folks there um, literally were displaced from their actual homes. Um, here's the thing. I mean, I guess something that I always think about, and this is not just in San Francisco, but every major American city, like when you look at New York, when you look at Chicago, uh, you look at... Um, Los Angeles as well. Los Angeles is famous for its tent cities, and you look at the Bay Area. So it's very liberal leadership. It's very uh, liberal politicians who say the right things. Um, But yet, when you look at the conditions of uh, like what you're describing, like the wealth disparity, the income inequality, and the fact that all these cities are such a weird police state, like this, it's, it's like this police state. And then um, I'm assuming San Francisco has this problem. Like, I'm assuming San Francisco has this problem that New York has where um, a lot of um, there are just a lot of buildings where nobody's occupying them because they're. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, like, a lot of rich people buy uh, apartments, they buy buildings. Nobody occupies them because it's just equity for them. They can park their kind of money there and it accrues interest, basically. Um, so, that's, that's a problem in San Francisco. Absolutely. And there's still thousands upon thousands of people who were homeless there um that's and that's such a i guess from our side i it's so it's very challenging when you like sort of look at like the how much it's like what martin luther king said um how the white moderate is really more of a blockade to progress because these are the people these liberal politicians supposedly the democrat politicians who should be who should care about this stuff and every one of these cities is just um, a, m- a mess like in regards to uh, wealth disparity and then also like with issues of police brutality like really it's kind of like a weird wealth disparity that's really uh, enforced and I-, I just wonder how intentional that is like if they just say the right things in public but they intentionally want to keep things this way I don't know I don't know if the problem's just bigger than them, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean it's part of, definitely part of the part of the problem, certainly. And if you're like upholding capitalism, if you're not going after the banks or if you're getting kickbacks from like big pharma, so you, you know, th- a lot of the Democrats are not corporate democrats. If they're getting money from big pharma, they're not gonna ask for Medicare or you know, Medic healthcare for all. Yeah. If they get subsidies from any kind of war industry weapons manufacturers they're not going to be anti-war like i would love to see an anti-war candidate i don't know where they are i'd yeah. love to see i think a few folks like tulsi gabbard has said some yeah for the most part though um
0: uh, there's some guy was his name mike gravel or something like that he mm-hmm. came out recently um i had to look that up but he i think he's kind of being a hardcore anti-war guy mm-hmm. but um i checked that name listener i'm not sure if i got it right i think name, i think his name's mike gravel but gotta check on that um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's sort of this tepidness and I feel like that wing of, uh, you know, liberalism has sort of been that same wing of, uh, you know, we're just going to, we're going to hope to, you know, if we're just nice enough, people on the Trump side will change. Uh, if we just give them enough of a platform, they will, you know, they'll come to us cause they'll see how nice we are. And it just doesn't, doesn't seem like it works. And, um, no. And um, this goes back to the hate project. Um, I just remember there was a moment where, um, so there was a resident clansman named Dragon1488. Um, probably not his real name. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that's his, That was his handle that he called in with. Um, so he used to call into the show and he and I used to talk. Um, and he, you and him talked a few times. Um, and it's, um, it's very interesting when um, you mentioned... Uh, in one of these episodes you talked about how you, there's so many family members that you don't know and that you'll never know because you lost them in the Holocaust. Yeah. And um, it just seems like in Dragon 1488, of course, is, um, you know, vilifies the Jews and he denies that the Holocaust, you know, he's one of those guys who uh, denies that the Holocaust happened, but if it did happen, so what, sort of an attitude. Um, and it's just interesting, like, how, I, I don't know if Dragon maybe, like, a year later or two years later was like, oh man, I acted really badly down during that time. But I just remember in real time, it was just like, didn't phase him at all. Like that this other human being was talking about how this massacre made them lose a lot of family members, you know? And so I guess like, I'm sort of at a point where, um, I'm more on the side of the people who are really just directly fighting these folks absolutely and you know if doxing is necessary it's necessary and the reason that like the reason i see a massive difference in doxing like uh people in nazi groups and white nationalist groups and stuff like that is um they actually go out of their way to hurt other people versus like somebody who like i don't know i'm just trying to think of like like most SJW personalities, like, um, even if you don't like them, like, they just write opinions and, like, they don't really go out of their way to hurt anyone. Whereas, like, the white supremacist, uh, folks, they do try to make their way into mainstream society, they make their way into law enforcement and stuff like that. And so it actually is kind of important to dox them. Um, do you see like a lot? I mean, I know like in Portland uh, and in Washington and the Pacific Northwest in general. There's been a lot <sighs> of like hate activity. Like yeah. you've had like the Patriot Prayer group, the Proud Boys. There's been a lot of riots in the Portland area mm-hmm. in this last year. Um, do you see any of that happening in the Bay Area or in San Francisco? Or
1: they have tried to rally a few times yeah. in the Bay. Area, and what the last time they came to Berkeley? There was like think a couple years ago. It's also my memory. Just like there's so many things that are happening, and like yeah. it's hard to even. Whew, uh, process at all the last time they tried to rally in berkeley a number of people showed up and the cops were protecting the neo-nazis yeah we have seen that so way in portland too it's that yeah absolutely and yeah. it's that that thing where uh <laughs> i mean that's just the, the facts those are the facts yeah so uh, as long as they can get away with it, I think they will continue. And it's all about recruiting. They want to recruit even more people. I keep on seeing study, you know, reports of them posting stickers and flyers up at college campuses. Yeah. And they're really just about trying to recruit new members. And until any folks can offer alternatives, I think that's something that... Because folks want to feel safe. They want to feel like they can belong. Yeah. And... Uh... And also just recognizing that's how, like, the, the at the root of this country, and we, you mentioned Portland, and, like, Oregon was started as this, quote-unquote, supposed to be, like, this white utopia type yeah. of state that I think a lot of folks didn't really know about. So, again, like, a lot of it's not new. I think a lot of it's just now more out in the open, and people are feeling more and more empowered.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I guess, like, that goes back to, um, why are these people picking, like, these liberal, like, I mean, aside from what we just talked about, yeah. about the problems that they have, like these so-called liberal cities of like Portland and San Francisco and places like that. I mean, is it just that they're easy targets? I mean, how much are they really able to recruit from these places? Do you think there's a good chance of them recruiting people from these cities?
1: I think it's more just to say, oh, look, we can we can take this place. This place is thought of as liberal, so we can take it. Yeah. And it's very much trying to take over and thinking of it as a specific target because of its reputation Even though many folks who have lived in Berkeley and in San Francisco will tell you, there's the huge policing problem and discrimination for folks who live there. Yeah. So.
0: Well, that's it's yeah, and that's that's a really interesting thing of like police protecting neo Nazis and um, basically not doing anything when those folks attack. Um, But then like when counter protesters. were challenging than the police went after the counter-protesters. Yes. Certainly in, Port- in Portland, yeah. there's a lot of footage of that.
1: Yes, and something to bring up was that a really valid point that was made is that in some ways folks were th- considering the idea that they've, the Patriot Prayer and all these groups were having these marches because they know they would have people, anti-fascists, opposing them, yeah. and that would give the police a chance to then arrest anti-fascists and then have them, like the Berkeley police... After the last one, they arrested people. They posted their mugshots on Twitter oh, and yeah. their names, and then those folks were doxxed. I and remember these are people that. who hadn't been charged with any crime at all.
2: Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, and the police, yeah, that's so weird. So
1: a lot of it, people think of it also as a trap in that way, where just to get folks yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, in trouble. It, it's interesting because, like, um, yeah, like, and so I guess that's what's kind of fucked up is, like, You know, the mayor of Berkeley, the mayor of San Francisco, all these places, like, they're kind of like these very liberal, like, they're like, oh, we support uh, everybody, diversity is our strength, they say all these things, but then their police forces are very much the opposite of that. I mean, like that, I remember that, like the Berkeley, uh, when was that, that was last year, I think, um, when they were doxing the counter-protesters on Twitter, Mm -hmm. which is insane, which, sorry... Um, yeah, which is insane because like, um, yeah, I've, I've never seen that in my lifetime. That's so fucking irresponsible. Um, and yeah, like, I guess like, is it that like, why don't like the liberal people who have some sort of pull, um, in these cities, like whether it's the politicians or it's the mayor or the people who write to their, who show up at community boards or who are on community boards and things like that. I just wonder, like, is it just like. These are just sort of elite people who like the idea of tolerance and diversity, but they don't really... Like, when people are actually being repressed, it just doesn't register with them because they're not experiencing it. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I think absolutely that. If it's not affecting you or your family and your loved ones directly, then it's easy to overlook it. Which is weird because the mayor of Berkeley was getting death threats from from these neo-Nazis, and at the same time was still allowing them to march. Yeah. So... uh,
3: And
0: I I can't tell like whether like these people, like they just say the right things, but they just enjoy the power structure that still mm -hmm. exists. And like, I guess they benefit from it or something, but it's just like maybe just easier for them to say the right thing. Because again, like who's like, who are you going to vote for in that particular region of the country? You're not going to vote for their opposition. You're not going to, you're not going to vote for like their Republican opponent or something.
1: Yeah. Which is a, a shame too, because in this last election, the mayors who are mayor, there was a mayoral uh, race for Oakland and Berkeley, and the two, the more progressive candidates did not win. Oh, really? And so it was, a, it was you know, white women, liberal. Like Libby Schaff is the current mayor and former mayor of Oakland, and she is just super problematic. Yeah. And Cap Brooks was one of the people who was running for mayor and had a lot of support and works with the Anti Police Terror Project. And yeah. that's someone where, and I think, and also recognize that. A lot of change, most change comes from from outside the system. However, if you have someone on the inside at least, it makes organizing that all that much easier. Yeah. And yeah, so I think it's also just yeah, the leadership and the you know, mayors of San Francisco have gotten kickbacks from Twitter doesn't pay any taxes at all. Yeah. And so again, it's it's the it's a greed factor too, I suppose.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's another thing. I mean, so uh you can you attribute like the change in San Francisco like speaking of Twitter and all these places. Uh, Twitter's based in uh where is that based now? It's like in It's in San Francisco. It's in San Francisco now? Yeah, yeah. I I think it's always been there. But um yeah, like Google's a big presence there now. Um it it's interesting cuz like when I was living there, there were a lot of homeless people I remember. Um and you know, just everyone chalked it up to like us oh, just people wandering into San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um So, are you? Do you think that the tech companies' presence have just made that so much worse? You you think so?
1: Yeah, and and to what you're saying, the point you're saying before, yes, I think there always have been folks who gravitate towards California because the weather is better. Yeah, thankfully there are some, somewhat of a safety net, like not as much. I mean, compared to other places in the country. Yeah, um, there they've made cuts, of course. However. So I do recognize that there are folks who do come there. There's also people who've been bused to San Francisco from, like, Nevada, for instance. That's the thing that happens. People get bused to California from other states hmm. with the idea of trying to get rid of people, which is horrendous. So I do feel like there's the the, the tech booms have made that folks kind of move in. Uh, um, the They get paid six-figure salaries, even starting out. They can pay really high rates. There's like the Ellis Act evictions, where it's our ways that folks can get evicted for no fault of their own. So, like, thousands of people have been evicted over the last few decades. Hmm. And so, and it's all just, it works together. Then there's also, you know, for foreign investors and people coming in buying buildings, as you were mentioning earlier. So, just the capitalism and how that yeah. people can buy, like, use housing to make money, which is atrocious and I think really immoral. Yeah. And on top of that, then there's the Google buses. So, Google's located in the south bay so it's not even in San Francisco proper however yeah. folks will move there and then Google will have these buses to get people from live in San Francisco to work at Google and they're and they would they they're really just they take up a lot of space they're really loud they use the public transit stops they don't pay them they pay like $1 per stop and it's yeah. just it's all it's just turned the city into something completely different. I'm sorry, I went off from the point. Oh, no, you you're mentioning about like the tech and I think that's definitely a big a big part of it has yeah. been folks moving in and it's it's really about the behavior too because I also recognize there are some folks who work in that in the tech industry who are very progressive and want to change things for the better and at the same time a few folks coming in who just act really entitled and like this is their playground. They don't care who they're evicting. They don't care how they treat other people who are there. They don't question their presence in the city. That's a big problem.
0: Yeah, right, right, right. Well, it's just – it's interesting like how these tech companies, they don't pay any taxes. Um, Yeah, and I'm assuming the Google buses, nobody else can ride the buses. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they're still using like the public transit stops. Yes. And that's crazy. Um, And um, it's kind of this weird thing like where they're using – they're taking over a city and then they're also profiting off of like, uh, I mean, I guess like they look at it as like, they're just profiting off of everybody's voices, but you know, they don't want to squelch any of these Nazi voices often because mm. of, um, because of the money that they're making, you know, cause it's just like all, all this ad revenue and all that stuff. Right. Um. Yeah, because people rightfully talked about this uh, when YouTube tweeted out their condolences to the New Zealand to the victims of the Christchurch New Zealand massacre. Um, Several people talked about like YouTube's algorithm, like always veering towards like these far right characters and these far right characters, like your. Steven Mignol and Mon, Mon, uh, Molno, whatever his name is, yeah. oh. Jordan Peterson, oh, no. all these guys, yeah, oh. Ben Shapiro, um, oh. just like radicalizing young people, especially young men on the on the right, mm-hmm. and often like these are the folks who are going out and killing people, um, and so it's just it's very. Um, I don't know exactly what the solution is. I mean, I think, like, certainly, like, if you're... I, I, I don't think, like, asking people to pay taxes is unreasonable because literally everybody else pays taxes. Like, um, if you're just a citizen who lives there and you have a regular job, you have to pay taxes there, and taxes are pretty high there. So it's very interesting, like, how just as a culture, we've just been groomed so much to not only worship wealth... Mm. uh so it's like you know well you know we we can't ask them to pay taxes because they're our job creators and we've kind of been groomed to fear these people and treat them as our leaders um and then um on top of that like in in conjunction with that uh we've been groomed to sort of treat the police like it's a like a church it's like a reverent like you know they're the law and we should you know worship them too it's like every other fucking that's why I hate shows like Law and Order and things like that Mm. it's just it's like this weird sort of like grooming people into like thinking that they're better than other people and so then when they shoot somebody it's like well they're better than you because, like, they have a dangerous job. Even though it's
1: not compared to so many other jobs, no. which is, I think, I mean, yeah. there's so many myths out there, too. And it's took, taken me, like, a long time to unlearn a lot of oh, yeah. But I but I grew up, even being raised in a in an extremely leftist house still that doesn't shelter me from the messages from media, from yeah. politicians.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah it's interesting yeah it doesn't really yeah and i and i feel the same way like i think um uh you know probably like on the hate project as well i probably like displayed some of those biases myself like whenever i was trying to find common ground with with people on certain topics and things like that um and and uh, speaking of myths though um i remember the show that you co-hosted with me it's episode nine of paradox of civility okay. um roman co-hosted with me um Uh, dragon calls in and dragon makes this case about like how um, basically like you know only white people have invented stuff only um, (laughs) white people have built a civilization Um, and um, you know I remember that inspired me to like uh, afterwards to kind of troll him back and troll him back and find you know certain like moments of like you know, black history black people have invented things that we use every day and that was great i'm kind of glad i got to do that but it's like i remember like um that is a myth though that is repeated uh in our country like most in schools yeah most, schools you, yeah you, you have black history month for like one month and it's like usually just about the civil rights movement it's about martin luther king and mm-hmm hey look how these people suffered and look how martin luther king made everything okay but you know it's very rare that um maybe this is changing i haven't been i haven't been in school for a while but um you know um it's it's very uh you know for the most part black history month is just like this sort of history of uh suffering and this sort of like glob and it's not about people like who pushed this country forward as much um Again, maybe that's changing in, in today's youth. Um, so I remember, like, I had to f- sort of, like, really fight to, like, look for things myself. Even though I knew what he was saying was wrong, I had to find some, like, you know, specific people, specific inventions and things like that. I had to, like, you know, work at that a little bit. Because it, it we're not taught that, you know, black people contribute to this country. We're not taught that people of color contribute to this country. And so... Um, Weirdly enough, what this Klansman was saying was a pretty mainstream attitude. And I think, like, even liberal people have this mainstream attitude. Mm. I mean, certainly, like, you have, like, Republicans, like, Steve King and people like that literally saying this shit. Like, that, oh, well, you know, what if non white you know, it's what have non-whites contributed? Like, you know, basically, he's he's basically repeated that, like, white people have built civilization. Uh. Again, like, we know it's not true. Like, we know, like, the history of, like, how much white people have stolen from other civilizations that were more civilized than the one that we have now. Absolutely. Um, but, um, yeah, so, like, I, I think, like, what you're saying is really important. Like, those, like, even if you're, if you're educated well, like, the myths and the sort of uh, talking points and teaching points in our broader culture still seep their way into your brain a little bit um like yeah it's very interesting um yeah (laughs) um like what do you and I guess like on the topic of education then like um there's been like this sort of vilification of college campuses and the right wing, like all these personalities love to like slam college campuses and that they're not indoctrinated, they're communist indoctrination. <laughs> wish. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it's not even uh. that it's not, e- it's barely like, yeah, it's not, it's <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, um, I guess, um, I'm just kind of curious, like, I mean, how, like, what do you observe? Do you think like the culture of the college culture of Berkeley? I don't know how much you interact with the college, but like, um, is it really like this? Uh, it's not this hellhole of it's not this sort of like what they're the hellhole in their head, I should say, mm-hmm. that they're painting. Is it? It's kind of like Berkeley's kind of a mainstream place now, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there used to be a lot more people were a lot more politically active there back, of course, in the sixties. Yeah, and I don't, I don't say I don't know enough about it to yeah. to comment on it. I would just imagine whenever the The right-wing folks call someone like a socialist or a communist. I'm like, I wish, or violent. Yeah. I'm like, I wish the way that they are painting Democrats, I wish they were as yeah. socialistic or communistic as you are saying that they are, or as yeah. we are. Like, because we are not. Like, the Democrat corporate Democrats are anti-labor. They are, again, yeah. they are pro-war. They don't care about the environment for the most part. And I'm yeah. painting a very broad brush. Oh, no, yeah. And yeah. at the same time, like, I wish, the. it's just everything I feel has moved further and further to the right. Like, yeah. I think about that and how I grew up in the '80s, and there was a lot of brainwashing and propaganda then. I mean, I think there always has been. Um, and I didn't even know until recently that Jimmy Carter had had solar panels on the White House, and when yeah. Reagan was inaugurated, he took them off. Yeah, I didn't know that. Fuels. Yeah. so I'm like, wow. And of course, like one can definitely go into the uh, there's never been a good president, et cetera, et cetera, and at the same time to see how like people, even Republicans, used to at least believe in climate change. Like, yeah. they still probably backed, or not probably, they still backed a lot of atrocious policies. Yeah. And at the same time, at least they could acknowledge that science was real. And I think things have just moved so far to the right that yeah. now anytime someone says, "Um, everyone should have healthcare and housing and food, which are should be like the basic principles, yeah. that is seen, seen as extreme and radical, which is just astonishing to me.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, there was like some, like Nancy Pelosi was doing some speech and like there were some counter-protester called. Cult- they were calling her a communist, and it's like, <laughs>
2: oh gosh,
0: it's like, wow, that is like, yeah. that is a, not a communist. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, you're right. I mean, like this, and so, like, I think this idea of like Democrats, these centrist Democrats, trying so hard to win over Republicans, it's like, or win over like what they see as conservative voters in the suburbs or whatever, like these people, it's like you're not going to because you're not going to win them over on their turf. Like if you have issues and you stand by those issues, you'll actually probably win some people over. Absolutely. Like that's the just the truth. I mean, weirdly enough, like a lot of those like I think like even like Medicare for All and stuff like that is growing amongst conservative people mm-hmm. here too. Like just from a from a pragmatic standpoint. Um so if you go on issues and you fight for your own vision, you'll actually do a lot better than It's like art. I mean, you know, you could try to, uh, you know, pander to the mainstream. You could pander to the market. And, like, you know, if you um, see that superhero films are popular. If you don't like superhero films, you're not going to make a good one. But, like, if you just, like, find the themes and issues that you care about, um, you'll be fine. I mean, you may not be, like, a multi-billionaire, but, like, I think you'll go a lot further. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, cause at the very least you'll have all those people on your side who support those issues, um, as opposed to like this sort of tepid, like sitting on the fence and not knowing where you're going. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, let's, uh, talk about a little bit of, um, uh, going back to this topic of having a dialogue with people who are, um, not even talking about people like who just you disagree on policy with yeah. them. Um, Cause I, I, I feel like any of us like as frustrating as that might be for any, for us personally, that might be fine. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about having a dialogue with somebody who literally um, wants to see you killed, wants to see people who look like you killed wants to see they, they have in their head, you know, this, these are the people who should, who should be at the top of the chain And everybody else should either be exterminated. And if they're not exterminated, they should be at the bottom of the chain or they should be working for us and we should be in control. And I'm, you know, I'm talking about like white supremacists who have a vision of straight white men in power and everybody else, um, either subservient or if you're not subservient, you got to go. Um, so you called in and like, I remember like you, the show that you co-hosted episode nine of. POC, Paradox of Civility. Um, you know, you talked with Dragon a little bit. And then um, that other episode, um, episode 14, where you mentioned your family that you lost in the yeah. Holocaust. And you, can you talk about, uh, let, let's start with that, actually. Like, why were you bringing up your family who who you lost in the Holocaust of this Klansman? I or like, what was your idea there? I
1: honestly don't remember. To be <laughs> completely honest, and maybe because it was so difficult and painful, I've decided yeah. to block it out for one sure. reason or another. Maybe because a lot's happened since then. Um, part of me also is like, why was I even engaging with this person who, and again, it's like, why aren't we fucking killing Nazis right now? Yeah. Why is that? Why are we even arguing whether or not it's okay to punch one when these are people who are trying to kill like millions of people right now? Why are we not organizing? And like, it's all, it should be all about, all all about self-defense and like, clearly they're not here to have a conversation. It doesn't matter. They're not here to have a dialogue. Yeah. So if they're not here to have a dialogue, then we need to do whatever we can to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um,
1: looking back to, I think I was naive, and it was more like because every now and every now and then, not very often, every now and then you hear a story of someone who who used to be a white supremacist who realized the error of their ways, yeah. and now they go around trying to convince others not to join it. I wonder where the where the rest of them are, and they should be the ones at the forefront of this. They should oh, be yeah. the ones who are having to having to have this conversation instead of other folks who have to um, explain our own humanity to people, which is yeah. exhausting, and we shouldn't have to do that. So to go back, I think I was really naive, and I think there was that idea that I do believe everyone's born um, with good intentions. Sure. And trying to find that, I guess there's that saying, if you want to make peace, uh, um, don't talk to your friends, talk to your enemies. Mm-hmm. However, uh, that doesn't really count for the fact that the enemies are not, they don't have a conscience. like yeah. Similar to like what Sophie Carmichael was saying, that nonviolence only works if your enemy has a conscience. And Yeah. Yeah, these folks don't have a conscience. Right. So then it goes it has to go beyond that. Right. And I guess I was trying to empath like trying to find a way that this person, if there was still some humanity in them, they might be able to empathize or if I say, Hey, if this were to happen to you, how would you feel if a big part of your family was killed right now? Right. How would you feel about that? Yeah. I again like I don't remember the full conversation and until you brought it up, I didn't even remember that this had this had happened.
2: Right. So, um,
1: um Yeah. So I think I was going in with that belief that there could still be something redeeming um in this person's psyche. Yeah. And that was
0: like a mistake. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, you know, you had the same attitude that maybe I had of like i i really wasn't like now i was not even going as far as you were of like appealing to this person's good humanity i was really trying to learn i was really trying to um i guess like uh to me it's like that carl jung idea of like you know like you know instead of like just thinking happy thoughts or whatever or you know you shine a light on the darkness that that's what makes it light you know um and so i was trying to learn and i thought like there was a part of me that also thought that like, okay, if we talk this out, maybe when you see how you got to where you were, you might question why you're in the clan, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting, um, idea of like, um, how, how much effort do I need to put in to prove my humanity to you? And how much should I be the one, uh, who is basically, you know, coming to you and, um, coming to like you know um putting the effort into like you know appeal to you and i feel like this is something i've talked about on previous episodes of this podcast um i get a little frustrated because like it's always on the marginalized people who have to do that it's yes. like the people who like when muslims are getting attacked or something or muslims are being vilified it's usually muslim people who have to like put up a booth that say like you know I'm a Muslim ask me anything or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's great. I'm not, and I'm not just to be clear, I'm not shitting on those people. Like, I mean, I think that's wonderful that you're doing that, but the broader problem is like, you know, the people like white folks don't have to do this. Um, and they don't seem to, I mean, if they're, if if it's not affecting, like you said earlier, like if it's not affecting their friends and their family or themselves, they're not that inspired to do that. Um, I guess, um, yeah, I, I guess like I you brought up like folks who have been former skinheads or former white supremacists and they left the movement and they try to get people out of the movement. Um, there are people like that. Uh, there's a guy. There's a group called Life After Hate. Um, mm-hmm. Christian Piccioloni and a couple of other people started that. Um, I watched a documentary also called White Right: um, Meeting the Enemy, where this uh, Muslim woman interviewed like white nationalist Nazi folks around the country. Um, and I guess a couple of them had left the movement and one of them even said, a couple of them even said that, you know, they considered her a friend. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me, like sometimes here, here's how I feel. Here's why I'm going on this, uh, long, here's why I'm going on, uh, talking about this so much. Um, I'm with you right now of like, I think these folks just need to be defeated. Um, um. Now there's that part of me that says like okay well some of these folks maybe be able to be saved, they may be lost, they may be blah blah blah, so maybe you could reach out and siphon a few of them off of the white nationalist movement. But that that seems like those numbers are so few that it's not mm. worth putting our efforts into that. Mm. Um and I I it's like yeah, I I'm I'm very conflicted, but I'm also more on the side of like okay, well, let's just eradicate these folks from society because Everybody else is living here peacefully, and their mission is not to live peacefully. Yeah. Um, like, I guess, like back then, like in 2012 or 2013, did you kind of consider yourself like a peaceful, like a nonviolent activist?
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. 2013. That's a while ago. It was yeah. six years ago. So it's hard for me. To, I definitely have become more radical, I'd say, the older I've gotten.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, like, um, I think, like, it's been more, like, like, it's weird, like, radicalism. Like, I feel like it's more. Are you more radical or are you more unapologetic about, like, how you really oh, feel? I that's wonder a about that. Yeah.
1: Great question. I guess I'm more unapologetic about yeah. it and maybe more comfortable with my voice. And yeah. I think also just after 2016, having so many people who are like, oh, wow, there's, you know, people who assume that everything was fine before then. Yeah. And for those of us who have engaged in some. Forms of either some ing- some ing- I mean activism is a complicated word and there's a lot behind yeah. that for the folks who since pre 2016 were like things are fucked up here and things need to be changed yeah uh, then to there is I think some it's been an interesting process now that more folks are aware because there's a Republican president who is really I mean, there, there were deportations during the Obama administration oh, yeah. and folks didn't care. I, I remember getting into fights with people about it, like, yeah. who were like, they didn't seem to care because they liked Obama so much or because it was a Democrat, even, and Bill Clinton did a lot of horrible, like, horrible policy, like, yeah. horrible. And whew, just, like, like gutting welfare, etc. and, like, all, just so much war. uh Anyway, I'm gonna get so angry. Yeah. So. That's all right. <sighs> I want to think first before I speak. Sure. Now that maybe more folks are aware and have woken up to the idea of what's happening, it makes me that more more sure of myself and what I believe because I used to, and I still do to a certain degree, get pushback from folks who are very very well-intentioned, very well-meaning, and because things haven't affected them or their families directly, then they think, oh, things are okay. Yeah. And I think I've also just, the older I've gotten, the more I've met folks who've had different experiences than me. Like, for instance, for instance I've like met in the lab, well, I guess for, for a while now, I've like met folks who are sex workers, for instance. For, yeah. For instance. And when I was maybe in my early 20s, to my knowledge, I hadn't. And so that's yeah. something where, again, talk about folks in this society who are criminalized and vilified and in danger a lot of the time. Yeah. And. That and then versus someone who, for instance, is a cop and or someone who joins the military with the idea because they want to go out and kill people. You know, somehow you get a military discount. Cops are thought to be heroes. Yeah. Yet I think sex workers are way more fucking brave. I would say overall.
0: Oh
2: yeah. From what
1: they face. So, I think overall, getting older and meeting more people and hearing more opinions has changed my, and also wanting to support folks and to hopefully be an accomplice and to amplify their voices right so and also think how everything is connected with like with prisons and criminalization and everything so and of course i also want to note that like i'm still learning and unlearning a hell of a lot and i'm sure i said things in the previous podcast that like i've told you this like i can't it's hard for me to even listen to it because i think it i'm afraid of what i might have said that i might not support now yeah and i also hope to continue to evolve and i feel like it's just crucial to also just have compassion for myself and to know that we're continually continually, continually growing, continually also making mistakes. Yeah. And especially when we're talking about what's all these really serious topics. Yeah. Like who knows how, I mean, I'm sure I'll feel different a week from now or a month from now and years from now.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nobody knows. I mean, it's, um, um, yeah, I think like it's, it's like, I feel like radicalism has been put on these sort of um, ideas like you outlined earlier of like, we want people to uh, not be separated from their families at the border for the, for seeking asylum, which is not a crime. Mm -hmm. Um, We want like, that's pretty reasonable. Like, you know, even just like healthcare, people shouldn't be bankrupt because of their healthcare costs and things like that. But we've been painted as radicals for that even though like we're not that's not radical that's pretty normal actually and if you go into normie mid america probably a lot of people would support that same uh policy um so okay um yeah oh yeah what was i talking about okay so can you tell me a little bit about like your activism before 2016 if it you know sure. and how it changed after 2016
1: yeah i don't know if i necessarily have difficulty accepting that you know it's, it's, yeah. it's a complicated uh being see, seen as an active uh, uh yeah i've complicated i've done i did some community organizing in the south u.s and like i think 2009 or 2010 and mm-hmm. that was with a friend of mine and we were looking to organize queer students um at colleges and universities. In the South United States, um, and the, a lot of these colleges had laws on the books or restrictions on the books that would not allow students to be openly gay or mm-hmm. trans, and f- uh, students would be kicked out if they were. Yeah. So that I think that was something that was that would be under under the the large banner of activism in terms yeah. of wanting to organize. And that's that's one thing I thought of, and I think to a degree storytelling can be if you are of someone of a marginalized identity. So as a trans yeah. person. Um that's something where and as a queer person, on uh, those those intersections of my identity are are ways where growing up, I didn't hear a lot of queer and trans voices in yeah the media so I think telling the truth in situations or in certain clubs or theaters or places where it might not have been accepted, yeah, that in a way to some degree could be could be seen as is activism even though that wasn't my intent
0: sure yeah well yeah no i mean like it, it's um it's an important action um because that's how i first met you was through the theater scene yeah. uh, here in new york city um through a few different theaters i think like it was improv and then like you know there was a lot of downtown yeah stuff. yeah i don't know i I've, I've, I've not been involved in that uh arena for such a think i haven't been involved in that world for such a long time so i have no idea what's going on there now but um there was like a lot of like experimental or alternative venues downtown mm-hmm. certainly in the east village and all over i'm sure they're still around um but yeah so it's like um you did you yeah so like you did theater um you didn't necessarily see it as an outgrowth of your activism. Is, is that? Am I hearing you correctly? Or did you see it as part of your activism?
1: No, I, I don't think I saw it at the time. But I think looking back on it, it was to a degree. Yeah, okay. And I think it also just evolved more into that. Because I was doing stand-up for a while. And then that involved in, that evolved into storytelling. And yeah. then by the time I got to San Francisco, by the time I stopped, I was doing I was just like politically ranting. I'd go to like a – and I was also mostly just wanting to do shows that were specifically for like queer folks and women and queer folks because yeah. I couldn't deal with – some of the younger, cis, male comedians who were making a lot of sexist jokes and sure. classist jokes. I'm like, I don't. I did. I spent. I spent a lot of time in my twenties listening to this nonsense. I'm now in my thirties. I can't. I don't have the patience anymore. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, I kind of took myself out of the scene. And also, what I was saying. Sometimes I could find humor, and sometimes I was just. And this was pre. This is also pre 2016. I was just so angry about certain. Like I remember. Uh, Scott Walker, the who was the governor of Wisconsin, for instance. Yeah. I don't live in Wisconsin, but just reading about what he was doing, I would use my time, my stage time, to like talk about what a horrible person he was.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, of course.
1: Or how much harm he was causing. And I think for some folks who go to a comedy show, they yes, it, it's important to make people feel uncomfortable by speaking the truth. Yeah. And also I, I have difficulty finding the right outlet for that, which is why I, I that's why I think I still do the radio show. Is that is a place where I feel like I can I can do that.
0: Yeah. And um, so your radio show, we can plug it now. Sure. Is the mutiny? No, God. Yeah. Wait, sorry. What? The, okay. That's okay. Tell, Roman, so uh, let's use this. Uh, let's use this as an opportunity to plug your radio show. Sure. Tell us what your radio show.
1: So it's it's on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio. And it's yes. called the Weekly Review, and it's on Fridays from noon to two p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Yeah. And you can find it at MutinyRadio.fm, and we have the archive that goes back to like early 2014 or 2015. I think is on the site. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so uh, this show you co-hosted with your friend Molly still.
1: Uh, I've been doing it on my own for the last couple years. Okay, couple okay, years,
0: yeah. all right. Um, and uh, and so your show is is a live show. It's just you talking. It's mm-hmm. talk radio. Yeah. And then um, do you have calls? You take calls, right?
1: Yeah, I take calls. I have guests as often as I'm able. I bring in community organizers, activists, artists, and I really just like to amplify people's voices. I feel like the best shows are the ones where I just do a lot of listening to the folks who kind of come in and I've learned so much from folks who are just working on making the world a better place.
0: Yeah, okay. And have you noticed like any, uh, in in regards to engagement or in regards to uh, feedback you've gotten... uh, the positive impact of, of the radio show. Have you noticed any of that? Um, it's it's hard to measure that. I realize.
1: Yeah, that. like we get our statistics from the radio station, and I had you know I end up with. I think I like in January is like the last stats I remember getting. It was at like 14,000 downloads, which is like, I'm astounded. I'm like, who are these people?
2: Like, honestly, I'm like,
1: and again, just because you download it doesn't mean you listen to it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, so clearly there are folks who are listening to it. And I also recognize that when I've guests on the show, then they also help promote it. I have difficulty promoting things. Yeah, me too. So that's, that's a bit tricky. Um, so it is, it's unlike theater where you have like an immediate reaction from the audience this sometimes i can feel like i'm speaking into the void and in some yeah. ways i feel like it also can be safer where i don't have to worry so much where i yeah. can just i mean maybe i should worry however i can say what i when i need to say without feeling discouraged as opposed to sometimes uh, someone who's doing standup for instance could have like a really good set and for whatever reason the audience just might not be in the mood and you might not get that energy back and that can really affect someone's performance so i feel like yeah it's can be like a good bubble to be in sometimes
2: oh yeah
0: yeah it can be nice it can be a lot of, yeah it's it's nice to it's a different sort of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so, um, so, um, you know, you talked about like, um, active or I guess like this sort of like, you know, doing theater work and performance and then like some direct activism. Um, how has that changed since 2016 for you?
1: Um, which part, how has it changed in terms
0: of, I guess like, let's start with like storytelling. Do you still do storytelling and theater and stuff like that?
1: Not, not, not really. Unfortunately I miss it a lot. Yeah. Um, And I also recognize it's something I might come back to at some point.
0: Yeah. And then what about, like, uh, in in regards to activism, do you have, like, any plans to travel the South again or travel anywhere else to... Not... I mean, part
1: of me, when I think about traveling, if I could travel anywhere, part of me just so desperately wants to leave the country just because I feel so... I've left the country only a few times in my life, and I feel, like, a certain relaxation when that happens. Yeah. And just this... And I recognize that every place has its own issues and its own history. Yeah. And at the same time, there seems to be just this, just this tension here. And I was up actually up in Canada during the election in twenty sixteen. I voted, and then yeah. it, it fell on my birthday. So I was like, I don't want to spend my birthday on election day. Like this is I'm like, and also at that point I was like, no matter who wins, I'm going to be angry. So yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I was like, all right. So a friend who's also were similar. Was like, oh, I want to go up to Canada, and I was like, that sounds like a great birthday trip for myself. So we're up in Canada, and I was afraid to even come back down after the election results were announced. Yeah, and but up there, it felt things felt a lot more calm, certainly. And even getting back into the country was just like, oh. But I was hesitant to even come back, and I'm like, maybe I'll just hide up in Canada for a while. And I think back to my ancestors and like my grandfather who left his family like reluctantly from Poland because they were being attacked all the time. And he left, and then years later, he ended up losing his brothers and his and his parents. And wow. it's, I think about, and I never met my grandfather, however, I can feel like, epigen- talking about epigenetics and what we inherit from our grandparents, and like, I'm an anxious person, and sometimes there's like nothing directly in front of me that's like, frightening, however, I feel that like, oh, is this going to happen again? If so, do I need yeah. to leave?
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it, I mean, is it completely wrong to leave this country though? Like, I mean, I mean, I think like you know, there's sort of this. Like, I remember like people would threaten, like when during the Bush years, especially like okay. a lot of liberals would threaten, like I'm gonna leave, and mm-hmm. and of course like you know a lot of right wingers would threaten when Obama was president. Um,
2: oh, I wish they had though. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Yeah, be easier. Um, and then like, but with Trump, it's like also like you had like. Um, people saying this but then like you have a lot of like well-meaning liberals who are like oh you're not leaving you can't leave but it's also like well if the shit really hits the fan and it already is in a lot of ways like people are being attacked what is what is wrong with just being safe like would you say that like with it with hindsight like you know, with people who left Europe in the 30s or, uh you know, they had, because they had to leave, you wouldn't say that about them of like, ah, oh, they should have stayed. And right. it's like, we all kind of acknowledge, like, yeah, okay, that was good for you to escape like that. So, yeah, what's wrong with leaving? Um, I, I, that's something I grapple with myself. Like, you know, like, why, like, why are we shaming people for wanting to leave the country? Yeah. It might be the safest choice, actually, at sure. this point. Yeah and uh, yeah
1: and i think it also depends on the person and like i have i do have a lot of privilege like i walk through the world and i'm viewed as like a white male so yeah. i recognize i and able bodied i'm documented so there's a, i have a lot of i have certain buffers certainly through walking through the world and in this country so i recognize that as well yeah and also i don't have any kids so it's not i definitely have people i'm connected to here so it's a little bit different in terms of like leaving yeah however it's different i think for folks who might, I don't know, I just, I feel, so part of me, like, as much as I would like to leave, I also feel like if I were to go somewhere else, then I'd be worried about it. I'd be like, oh, I'd be in another country, and I'd be like, oh, no, what's happening? How are my friends there? Yeah,
0: that's something that I go through, too.
1: And I wouldn't necessarily, I would just be somewhere else, but I wouldn't, and it's similar where even if I'm doing well, for instance, or whatever one I would consider well, like, if maybe I'm, I'm feeling secure and safe and stable in my life, it doesn't matter if folks I know or even folks I don't know are struggling or yeah. having a difficult time. So I, it's hard for me to separate those two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: and I also was grateful. I went to Cuba last year. Um, and I think that I was, that really inspired me. Where just here is a place where folks fought and won. Yeah. And granted there still are, there's some difficulties with living there, of course. And at the same time, it was really quite reassuring to know that that's possible for folks to come together and to fight and to win. Yeah. And so part of me is also like, well, I could stay here and fight like that's also an option. And yeah. if everyone and also if everyone leaves and doesn't have to, then what's left? For, right. For, and not everyone's even able to fight. So I feel like I yeah. could, could stay here and
2: hopefully do some good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, um, so you talked about, you know, going through the world as a white male. And um, you also mentioned that you are trans and you were queer. Yeah. Um, I guess um, that's, uh, you know, again, these are communities that are really being targeted, Um, you know, trans people, especially Uh, like Trump had that trans ban that he announced over Twitter. Um, And then um, I think there's something having to do with passports. I don't remember this now. It's so much has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like all these stories are getting muddled. But like. I think it was like trans people were having passports revoked. Did you hear about this?
1: Yeah, this was like maybe a year ago or so. And again, I think it's deliberate. It's just they're totally trying to psychologically fuck with us. Yeah. To have so many things happen that it's difficult to even remember what's happening when. And before we can get outraged about one thing, something else terrible happens. Yeah. And... That is something, and I knew I have a lot of trans friends, and I have heard folks who have had difficulty getting passports renewed. And again, it's also difficult to tell what's the bureaucracy. That's just the bureaucracy has always been difficult and transphobic to a degree, and also yeah, racist and etc. Um, and what's actually deliberately transphobic? Yeah. So I mean, that is a that is a piece of it too. That does that does scare me a bit. And at the same time i recognize there's a lot of younger folks who are coming out earlier and earlier and there's more education now than there was yeah. when i came out as trans years ago so i do feel like not that there isn't an attack on trans folks i think now that we're more visible and now that we're not just a joke and people think of us as imaginary yeah that's seen as a threat there's always a backlash like in the 80s there was a huge backlash against feminism
2: yeah
1: um due to progress that was made and gains that were made by women so I feel like similar with, with trans folks. Now that we're more visible, there's that backlash that comes, comes in.
0: Yeah. Do you think the backlash also, I mean, cause again, like, you know, uh, you mentioned this, like, um, you know, there's a lot more education about uh, trans people, um, in general, like in a mainstream way that there wasn't before, like it was considered kind of a joke, like for a long time, even within the century, like even within the 21st century, it was kind yeah. of considered like a punchline. Um, so, do you think like uh, these sort of like attacks on this community? Do you think that those attacks, um, not and that's not to justify the attacks, but do they sort of lead towards more education, to more people coming to your side? Do you what do you observe about that?
1: Oh, uh, I don't know. I hadn't I hadn't really considered that. It is it is refreshing though to see every like there was someone who was elected recently, and I have certainly my criticism of elected officials of all um there was one who had a trans flag in their in their office for instance yeah and then there was there have been a few openly trans folks who have been elected to office and that hasn't been the case in the past so it is reassuring in some ways when the attacks happen that there are folks who are combating that with no this isn't going to happen especially when it's solidarity like for instance when the shooting in the synagogue in Pittsburgh happened for Jewish folks. There were a lot of Muslim folks who came out to support. Yeah. And then recently with the attack in Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, there were Jewish folks who came to support Muslim folks. So yeah. I think it's all about just solidarity. And if everyone can come, come together and defend one another, then these people in positions of power have no way of remaining as long as we can just remain in solidarity of each other.
0: I hope so, yeah. Because, I mean, like, it's interesting, like, you, you know, like, I think, like, most of us have more in common with each other than differences, but it does feel like right now we have like this weird minority rule. And part of that's just due to like the electoral college and gerrymandering and stuff like that. So it's like, that's the other challenge of like, even if more people are on the right side of history, it's going to still be hard to get power here in this country because of these issues. And, um, but thankfully that is changing a little bit. You're absolutely right. Um, and, um, yeah i guess like do you sort of um are there uh for people who are not trans who are cishet do you like are there ways of not not that you have to educate us i'm not putting that putting that on you but like um are there things that like cishet people do in solidarity with you that you appreciate um beyond like the virtue signaling beyond like people yeah. being like um oh, when you know i stand with you or whatever like
1: I think just directly, like having conversations. If you overhear something transphobic, calling people out on it, yeah, like, like any, yeah, but that's always a big thing. So we don't have to advocate for ourselves. Yeah. Also, folks with capital, like there's a, a hotline called Trans Lifeline, which is a suicide prevention hotline. Yeah. Around, like I know the folks who founded it, and it's completely staffed by trans folks. So if you have money to donate to Trans Lifeline, yeah, and to just reach out and support and validate folks in your life who are trans yeah I mean, it's, it's as simple as that
0: right yeah and I, th- I feel like there's like a weird like um people kind of don't have this understanding of what it means to be trans and that like um so let's talk about this really quickly um turfs are kind oh, of like i guess yeah. like this is like a situation where like you know the more that trans people became prominent yeah. You have the darker forces coming after them, and so you have turfs now who are trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Um, they're kind of like not the last two of those letters, there, I don't <laughs> exactly. Think. Um, but um, yeah, that's um, I, that. What's weird about that one though is like they are coming at it from a so-called feminist perspective of like we want women-only spaces, and you are invite. It's this weird sort of like i i want to invoke my own safety and right to my body by erasing your real existence so they a lot of their tactics are saying that like trans women are just men and they they kind of like those right-wing talking points Mm -hmm. they're echoing those of like well these are just guys dressed as women coming into women's spaces which i'm not i i don't it's so weird. Like that one is weird. Like at least like with like the Nazi right wing people, like it's kind of clear, like you hate people who are different from you and okay, I know where you stand. Um, that one is weird. Like the turfs are weird because they have like this sort of respectability in liberal circles of being feminists and like, oh uh, you know, I'm just advocating for women. Um, you know, that's sort of like their perspective. It's, it's a really, really weird fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I don't. I don't have a question for this actually. Um, I just, how do we like? Yeah, I, I feel like people like that should just be shoved off too. Um, I guess like, how do you feel like that turf attitude is uh, in mainstream feminism? Is a ba- big? Do you feel like that's sort of a? Do you see like mainstream feminists echoing that particular viewpoint?
1: I think some, and hopefully, I think it's kind of there. It's hopefully there are, will be less of them and uh, i have like a lot of my just have a lot of thoughts and ideas about it yeah and also one counter argument that folks can use is that the idea of feminism is that women shouldn't be judged by their bodies and their body yeah. parts yeah. which is exactly what they're doing when they talk about trans women they don't even know what trans women's bodies are like and yeah. at the same time they're judging someone based on their body yeah so they're kind of arguing against themselves also turfs have been known to go on fox news like and agree with them like they have been known to Go with other right wing yeah. Republicans to try to pass like anti trans legislation, for instance, and of course, anti trans legislation is also misogynist and anti queer, so it'll end up affecting them yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. And yeah, so I feel like there's a lot of other um. That's those are my first two few points.
0: Yeah, Yeah. like, and I feel like with TERFs in general, like, even if you try to explain that it's not just a dude dressing up as a woman or whatever the f- their dumbass idea is, yeah. I feel like when, with turfs, like, when you bring up science and you bring up, like, a lot of these um, facts yeah. about what it is to be trans, they seem to, uh, they seem to not listen. They, it's the same as, like, mm-hmm. the Klansmen and people like that. They just seem to, like, tune it out of, like, well, nope. Nope, that's fake. It's like a fake news sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. Is it worth trying to reach any of these people, or is that just sort of the same? as?
1: And I guess it depends, and there's probably a spectrum. And I had a conversation with uh, – I asked a friend for advice maybe about a year ago, and that was um, – I happen to be like an anti-Zionist Jewish person. And yeah. there are, like a lot of us who are anti-Zionists, and then there are the folks who seem to conflate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Yeah. And one can say, yes, anti-Semitism exists. And also, simply criticizing the actions of the state of Israel does not mean that one hates Jewish people.
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: I think some folks are so either held in their trauma or held in their propaganda that they can't quite see that. So I asked a friend who's an activist about this, like, what do you do? And she had said, well, it's worth talking with the folks who you think might be open to changing their mind. So I think that's that's true with like everyone there are the folks who might be willing to engage in conversation and be open to hearing new information and having that information change their perspective and that's for me what it was was as soon as you meet someone who talks about their experience it's like oh i hear you and that clicks in something that will, will change one's mind so i think that just depends on the person
2: yeah
0: but it's almost like hard like but it's also again like we have this dilemma of you know, why does the trans person have to do that work? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's sort of like the dilemma there. Like with, um, yeah, it's sort of that same problem of like, let me try and convince you. And you may not convince them. That's the fucking problem. So like, I mean, like, I think also like people just don't understand what it is to be trans. That like, Mm -hmm. that is like... Really, at the end of the day, it's not just some sort of, like, I'm just going to change from one thing to another. It's not that simple. It really is a survival thing. Yeah. Am I correct about that?
1: Absolutely. Like, I'm the same person. And I think it's just we're not – I don't feel like our language has quite caught up to, as we are as humans or as evolution. I'm similar with with technology as well. It's it's difficult to find words to describe something that perhaps cannot – not that it can't be described. It's just difficult to – Yeah. I guess find the words and also language is always evolving as well. Yeah. Yeah. So even if I just use trans as shorthand, because it's harder to find other words to actually communicate my experience, which doesn't really have words. I think that's true for everybody. Like people can write autobiographies and there are hundreds and hundreds of pages and that can only just scratch the surface of one person's experience. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I'm the, it's, and now that I, it's, I'm over 10 years into this experience of being out at least, um, it's. I'm still the same person. I'm the same person I was as a kid. I yeah. might look, my body might look different. My voice might sound a little bit deeper. However, I'm still the same individual, and I don't even necessarily identify. I'm identify more as like non-binary. I don't necessarily even identify more as male or female. Yeah. This is just from the body I'm, I was given. This is what I feel most comfortable as.
0: Yeah, and you knew, uh, you knew it was not the right body since you were a kid, right? Yeah.
1: And I would say like it's it is my body, so it's not that it wasn't my body. It's a tricky conversation to have with like, say it's like the, I don't really no, subscribe yeah. to that. Yeah. I don't really subscribe. And then perhaps I misspoke. I misspoke. Uh, I don't believe it's like the wrong body. It's more just,
2: uh, yeah, it's
1: difficult to put into words really. Yeah. It was more just like something didn't quite feel right. And it was hard to uh, acknowledge what that was.
0: Yeah. And then um, I guess like before you transitioned though, like, was there a point in your childhood or in your youth where you sort of were like, you would, you would, you did identify it, and then, like, after that, was there, like, a process of... Of before? not, of, like,
1: totally denying it. Like, yeah. Like, I think yeah. other folks are in the closet about one thing or the other. Like, I found a journal I'd kept in in college, and there was an entry, and I dr- used to drink a lot, and yeah. I there was an entry that I'd written I'd totally forgotten about until uh, an ex of mine was like, let's go read your old journals, and I was like, okay, and I'd totally forgotten about it. Like, that seems to be a recurring pattern here, like, things I did that I totally forgot about, where I was, like, 18 or 19... And I was like oh identify as male when I was 18 or 19 I didn't actually come out to myself as trans or to anyone else until I was 27 right so that's at least nine years of me acknowledging it and not being able to I mean perhaps I could some of my friends some of my friends knew they weren't surprised when I told them so yeah. I think it would come up in conversation occasionally but it wasn't anything I could I think we even or I even had the language for or knew how to um like I had a con- I, I started doing stand-up when I was 20. One, 2021, 20, and I had a joke about a joke in quotations yeah. about identifying more as male. And so there was that, there was some piece of it there, but it wasn't. And again, I don't, and there are like, there are folks who are trans, some folks medically transition, some folks don't. There's a whole wide range of what yeah. folks decide to do. So for me, it was still deciding to physically transition was more in line with me coming out to myself and to others. Right. was right for me. Right. Right. And yeah, there's just a long time when I didn't really address it or couldn't address it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I guess like, you know, um, it's, you know, cause so many people push back on like, well, you know, you don't need to be a man cause like you can just be a strong woman. And yeah. you know, are you worried that, you know, you're not feminine enough or something like that? It's mm-hmm. deeper than that though. Like it's not just like, It's not just, like, somebody being a fucking tomboy or whatever, or, like, a male being, like, feminine or whatever. It's something – there's something at the core of your existence that's deeper. Maybe we just don't have the language for it yet. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah.
1: And I'm sure there's plenty of other folks who are trans who could definitely speak at length about this. Yeah, yeah, no. Have a lot – I was at uh, Blue Stockings today, and they have a really great queer and trans section – and it was, like, really cool to see all these trans memoirs and books that were... Yeah. I remember like, back when I first came out, there were, like, a few books out there. And now there are books upon books upon books. And yeah. it feels really reassuring to know that. Because every person has their own experience and can add their own perspective on it. So. Yeah, totally. It was totally. really great to see.
0: Yeah. And then, like, I, like, speaking of, like, sort of, like, education, the word queer... I remember yeah. when I was growing up, like, it just meant gay. Like, I thought, like, it was just another word for somebody who's just gay. Yeah. But queer is not just gay, right? It's it's a bit more expansive than that. Yeah. It's, and like, yeah, that was another thing where like, I've had to learn about that. Cause I just remember like, I had a friend who was like, yeah, she's a woman and she was like, yeah, I'm queer, but I've been with the same guy for like five years. And I was like, well, so are you gay or not? You know? And I was, you know, um, so that's been like a different, um, that's like a different, uh, expansion. So, I mean, is queerness like, a uh, forgive my ignorance on this. Like, it's it's not just, like, sexuality, right? It's sort of... Is it beyond sexuality? Beyond yeah. like what you're attracted to?
1: Yeah, I feel it can be, like, sexuality, identification. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think it was used as... It was taken back... So It used to be used as a slur, and then it was taken back Yeah, uh, from the community to use it as a more of an expansive word, like more of an umbrella term. And not everyone uses it, not everyone likes it. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's kind of... Languages can be really limited. So... Mm-hmm. At this moment in time, many folks use that as a kind of a shorthand. Yeah, and also just add to it, it also can be a political. It's yeah, uh, it's, more of like a political stance too, because there could be some very conservative cis white uh, gay men, for instance, who don't might not necessarily identify as queer in terms of being maybe more assimilationist and being like, well, we got married. That's all I, that I care about. Yeah, and not being as perhaps I don't know if counterculture is the right word. it's just yeah. It's, it's supposed to be more of an, um, an umbrella term.
0: An umbrella term, yeah. yeah. So it's different from like I mean, so if somebody is like it's different from being bisexual, right? Um or it could it could like bisexuality could fold under the umbrella term of queer. Yeah. But queer is just more expansive. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm trying to I see like this is like so fucked up. Like I'm still trying to learn about that because like I just I, I also grew up in the 80s, so like it was just, like, this term of, like, oh, that person's queer or whatever. Like, yeah. it, like it was a slur, yeah.
1: Sure, sure. That, that's the it's whole thing. Make fun to, of people. Yeah, with, like, language, too, is that it's constantly evolving. And then especially if one doesn't identify in that group, like, wanting to not offend and not knowing. what, And then it's also language is, like, constantly changing. So yeah. something that one word we're using today might be someone could listen to this 10 years from now and be like, wow, I can't believe they said that word.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, this could be problematic down the road. Yeah. Who knows? But, you know trying uh we're doing our best future listeners we're doing our best Mm -hmm. um oh i was just not gonna ask you something oh my god because it came up oh yeah um i remember on episode uh the episode that you co-hosted with me the hate project um it's episode nine of paradox of civility um you mentioned uh like we were talking about like activism within uh around uh, LGBTQ issues and I remember you mentioning about like how it became kind of co-opted into this marriage thing and yeah. like marriage became the the big yes issue um do you feel like so I I guess like the way I look at that is like that's a right that just shouldn't have been taken away from anybody like yeah that, that's yeah you had to fight for it because you had to fight for it because you know that's a right that should never have been taken away in the first place um in the same way that like you know it's like black people were not passionate about bus rides. It's just like, that was, that shouldn't have happened. Like they shouldn't have been put in the back of the bus and paying the same fare. Um, It's just like, um, do you feel like, uh, I guess um, what you were saying back then was, you know, it, it kind of gay activism went more towards the mainstream. I'm paraphrasing what you said, Mm -hmm. but it it sort of like seemed to be like the agenda of rich white men. Yes. They were setting the agenda for LGBTQ activism and rights yes um do you feel that that was the desire of perhaps wealthier white men or more privileged white men because they were so close to privileged society that they just wanted to assimilate yeah or was it really just like um i mean was that like sort of the fuel of that you think
1: yeah i think that's a really good point i think that's definitely a big piece of it and i also will just plug a book called against equality which has a lot of essays about this particular subject yeah I think that's a big piece of it. I also think losing a lot of folks during the HIV and AIDS crisis in the 80s and beyond oh, okay. meant that the we had a whole generation that's gone right now. So these were yeah. folks who may have fought for and argued for a different way of being and other issues as well yeah. that are affecting gay people and also the idea of marriage as an institution in the first place can be seen as problematic where like someone has to get married in order to get health insurance or in order to get citizenship yeah. and it's like that should happen if you're married or not you should be it should be happening to folks who are single and exactly yeah so i think yeah you make it make a really good point where there are other folks who are so close to that that privilege where they just want if they have that one other thing then they'll be okay however oh, yeah. that doesn't really account for folks who may be like incarcerated for instance or do not have their basic needs met which and those things are a much higher priority than getting married to somebody
0: yeah absolutely and i think i think like um and like yeah like the marriage as an institution is considered respectable so i guess like kind of like what you're bringing out like with aids uh in the 80s especially like there was like this um stereotype again where where, like people were just like well you know they the aids is happening because they're deviants and uh they're you know it's a gay lifestyle and that that shit so i wonder how much of like you know when this as gay marriage uh obviously like you know we are happy that it happened but like how much of that was in response to that of like Mm -hmm. hey we're not deviants Mm -hmm. uh actually a lot of us want to like be married and have a you know your picket fence mm-hmm. uh non-deviant life non-deviant lifestyle you know um so it's like it's almost like this sort of respectability politics this sort of re- chasing respectability but i kind of like i do have a little bit of a sympathy for that because it was sort of like people being demonized so much sure um that you know um but i think like you bring up a good point too that like it comes at the expense of other people. Um, it shouldn't, and which obviously it's an important issue, but like, um, yeah, I guess like, how does everybody else get a seat at the table instead of like the, the respectable rich people. Yeah. And that's just a hard part about this particular discussion mm-hmm. um, of, um, cause like you, like you said, like runaways, even like there's still people who are homeless because they're uh, they come out to their families and stuff like that. That still happens. Yeah, like I, I guess like um it's it's just like this respectability politics that's a little like disturbing to me. Like I just remember like there was this interview with George Carlin and Playboy like in the eighties where he talked about this where um you know people have fought for the rights you know people have like you know civil rights and women's rights they've fought for like the privilege of being part of like this horrible corporate structure and having a shitty job and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's pretty funny. Um but it's, it's true, though. I mean, like we—it's sort of like we're all fighting for being part of a broken system. For crumbs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so like we're—it's like we're fighting to be like I want to be in charge of like this broken system, or I want to be like I want to have a good seat at the table. Like that is still built on bloodshed or yeah. whatever. You know, it's like it's very this respectability politics, and I mean, like this goes back to like kind of mainstream liberalism being a blockade to a lot of progress just as much as, like, the other side is. Um, and, I, I mean, that may come up, like, uh, that just might be just straight up brain. Like, you know, I grew up in the suburbs in 80s, and, like, you know, like, that's the Reagan era. And, you know, you're supposed to, like, get a job and start a family and those yeah. things. And uh, yeah. so you're supposed to want those things. So,
2: yeah. Um, and also, oh,
1: also, also moment, I'll just mention one thing about with the marriage, like, at least the, the also just the idea, of course that There are folks who've been together for decades who wouldn't be able to see their loved one at a hospital, for instance, or wouldn't be able to yeah. like inherit, um, you know, a home when, when someone died, so there, that was also happening, and so recognizing oh, yeah. that that's super crucial and folks should, of course, oh, yeah, have that, and also so that's just also one thing I wanted to mention. Which,
2: oh, absolutely, yeah, of
1: course, that yeah, it like, also just goes down to capitalism and like who gets it's just, yeah,
0: yeah. Ugh like why is this a privileged class of mm-hmm. people like this uh, who are part of this institution um and yeah and i guess like yeah it's like there's in, in capitalism you have to be you know, there have to therapy winners and losers basically um do you feel like that's like now that like gay marriage has been more mainstreamed do you think like there has been more room within like um this is such a broad question mm-hmm. and you can't answer this because like this is obviously like i'm I'm not asking you to speak for everybody because, like, that's insane. I'll speak Um, for myself. Yeah. Uh, Like, so, you know, gay marriage, the idea of it's become, like, a lot more uh, mainstream. I mean, certainly you got Mike Pence and folks like this. And, like, there's a really rancid sort of homophobia creeping in again. And um, But do you feel like, um, is there a possibility now for other issues that affect the LGBT community to come to the surface now that, forgive me. Uh, now that that's become more mainstream or not as like much of a problem
1: as it was. I mean, it can, if folks are still willing to work on it. Yeah. I mean, just like with like trans specifically trans issues and anything like healthcare related. And so again, those, those are issues that affect everybody. Yeah. Um, but they're all like, I think you still can get fired in certain States for being gay. Yeah. you, uh, there still are gay bashings that are happening all around this country. I know a number of folks who've been queer bashed. Um, the discrimination that like trans women in particular face yeah. um, and, and danger from just merely existing in the world. Right. Um, and then also with lack of employment, not even just employment, not even being fired from a job, but not even being hired in the first place. Yeah. So that's part of it. And then also just with FOSTA-SESTA, which was passed, I think it was last year, that was like an a- supposed to be against sex trafficking. It ended up endangering sex workers, and it actually made it even worse for folks who are being trafficked. Yeah. So... Those are things where, like, there's the Venn diagram where it does affect, like, the the queer community. Yeah. And... I forget what the original question was. Uh,
0: oh, yeah. I mean, like I was just asking, like, you know, now that, like, the, oh. the idea of gay marriage has been mainstreamed, like, we see videos now. Right, and, right. like You see, like, well, like effect. advertisements oh, yeah. of, like, you know, a, a same-sex yeah. couple getting married and all that shit. You see them on the subways here and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of, like, you know, other issues that are still problematic, sure. that are still, like, you know, fucking with people's livelihood, basically, in the yes. LGBTQ community, yeah. community. how much of, like, that's going to be solved or, you know, um, these people who got this accomplishment of gay marriage, but they're not mm-hmm. affected by these other things. Like, yeah. you know, is it sort of like still <laughs> the people who are even more marginalized are still just going to be the ones yeah. advocating for themselves? Yeah. Um, that's what I, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, I guess like, I guess like there's not like a real answer for that. Like, you know, there's awareness more mm-hmm. of these issues. Um, oh, um, so SESTA-FOSTA, um, or FOSTA-SESTA, don't know what the order of that is, um, Which was, I believe, uh, Kamala Harris championed that. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Yeah, Bernie did. Like, I mean, a lot of people who, like, yeah, it's like, oh, with heroes like these, with Democrats like these, who needs Republicans?
0: Well, it's like, it's so interesting, like, how, um, like, yeah, like, it's something that, like, sex workers came out against. And there was even a rally recently, um, you know, um, in New York, uh, you know, people kind of, like... um, there's there's basically like you know some senators some state senators pushing for uh you know decriminalization of sex work yes. and like a lot of like these respectable democrats came out and like came out and they're like we don't want big pimp in our city there were some sex pro sex workers who were protesters oh yeah i'm sorry
1: may I just interrupt you okay so the, the, just like the irony of democrats being against quote unquote big pimps when they are you know they're being anyway yeah, i'm sorry yeah exactly just,
0: please continue it's it's ridiculous yeah, yeah. um um but um yeah and so like sex workers were there to counter protest and mm-hmm. they were saying listen to sex workers and, yeah
1: absolutely and
0: so most sex workers were against this bill and so but the people who were uh championing this bill are basically saying that like you know well it's there to protect people because <laughs> which and it doesn't and so it's like i just wonder like why is um from your perception on the left There seems to be some weirdness about sex workers and sex in general. Like, why is that? Like, why are we, like, why do people kind of, like, even like a a fellow like Bernie Sanders, like, why, why do the, why does the bill, like, why does a buck stop there where it's like, I'm not going to go over that line?
1: I think part of it is the mental, I learned the term recently, mental framing, which has to do with the narrative, which is how people frame like an idea. So yeah. the way that the Democrats were framing it was like, we want to stop sex trafficking. Of course, everyone wants to stop sex trafficking. Yeah. However, that's not what the, was that, that bill was doing. So that yeah. was, I think that was a piece of it was that what they were saying they were doing and what they were actually were going to do were two different things. Yeah. Part of it is not actually listening to the people who are most directly affected. And yeah. often those are the folks who are not in positions of power. So that's another piece of it. Uh, Also living in a very puritanical country that's like not, that's so shameful about sex, yet is somehow totally okay with violence. It's a turn on TV, you can't see naked bodies, yet you can see someone killing someone. That's pretty fucked up. So I think that's another element to it. Um, Just misinformation, I think there's just a lot of misogyny, and a lot of homophobia and transphobia. And when you think of the majority of folks who are, and also a lot of racism, and the folks who are sex workers happen to be, there aren't a lot of, I mean, there are folks who are cis, het, (laughs) straight white men who do sex work, they are not the majority of those folks being affected sure. by that. Yeah. So when you have the people who are making the laws who are not directly affected um, or working directly with the communities who will be affected with those laws, there's a big uh separation. I also would go back to how there are folks who like believe in white supremacy within like who are liberal, like and yeah. that kind of very insidious just like it could be it can be in the form of like microaggressions. So there can be folks who are like, oh, we're, we're on the right side of things. However, they're just by growing up in this country, one, the so much, there's so much propaganda One yeah. ends up internalizing it and then listening to it and then reenacting it. So I think that's, a, that's another piece to it too, where growing up in a culture that's so shameful about sex in general. Yeah. And also it's an anti-labor issue, too, where they're, I mean, the, the folks who are anti-sex work, it's anti-labor, because sex work is work. Yeah. And there's, of course, so many, like, labor violations in this country, too. So it also goes back to folks who engage in sex work, um, many of whom have direct, con- they have control of their, of the labor. So yeah. So they get to, they can cut out the middleman sometimes if people work for themselves, for instance. Yeah. And if a woman can work for herself, people who can make money off that don't want that. Right. So in a way, it's also taking away power from folks who consensually and voluntarily engage in sex work. So I think it's also just a, it's a really um capitalistic plan to control labor and to control people's bodies, which also goes into being against reproductive rights and it's all it's all connected. It's just wanting to control people's bodies.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like human like and like a couple things about that. Like the fact that like they conflate human trafficking with sex work, which is insane. Like human trafficking is bad under any context. So if you were trafficking humans yes, yeah. to like wash dishes or you're trafficking humans to like you know um so like nike shoes or something like that like that's human trafficking is bad under any context whatsoever um and the fact that like um, i can't tell like how intentional this is like that intentional like you know i'm gonna conflate this horrible thing with like you know sex work uh I, I don't know how intentional that is or how, if that's just kind of ignorance, if like, you know, people just haven't thought about these issues enough. Cause like, like you said, they're not affected by it. So somebody just says like, Oh, you know, if you have prostitutes around, they've all been trafficked. So you better be, you know, and they just don't have to think deeper than that. It's like, Oh, well I better stop that. Um, but yeah, I think like, um, it's interesting like how, again, like we, you know, you look to like, it's kind of a joke that like conservatives are weird about sex. Um,
1: Yep, they're always caught with somebody. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing. Yeah. Like
0: that's in- that's another thing is that like, you know, this this sort of like the specter of big pimp or whatever when people bring that shit up. Yeah. Like, we don't want a big pimp industry. It's like you cannot tell me like if you have half a fucking brain, you cannot tell me that like as sex work is illegal here, like you can't tell me that there aren't people utilizing sex workers in New York fucking city. That's insane. Like, if, like, you really, like, these people who are grandstanding about that, it's like, do you really think you're stopping, like, people paying for sex? Um, And I think, like, that's what's sort of insane to me. And I think, like, also, like, it's just people, I think there is, like, this sort of element of, like, there are a lot of people who just are grossed out by the idea of paying for sex. And they just don't, because, like, they don't like it, they don't want other people to like it. And again, like, we expect that from, like, Puritan, like, you know, fundamentalist Christian right-wingers. But it's interesting, like, how many liberal people are like that. The liberal people who are just like, I'm all about, like, you know, everybody living their truth and living their best life. But it's got to be done, like, you know, you know, like, it's like sort of like liberal people will sit there and, like. I think it's great for gay people to be married. And then, like, they sort of, like, reinforce, like, this idea, like, that's how you're that's how you one of us gay people if you get married. So I'm going to, like, make a big deal about you getting married. Yeah, it's, like, respectability politics. Yeah, it's respectability politics. And, like, it's, like, I don't know why, like, if these people who don't care about, like, what other people do in the bedroom, you shouldn't care about somebody paying for sex. And, like, you should want that person who's providing that service to be yeah. safe. Um, I'm still trying to learn a little bit about like decriminalization versus legalization mm-hmm. like several people like are for decriminalization but yes. against le- legalization yeah um, I, I mean, do you know anything about that? I'm not sure sh- from my
1: limited understanding of it is that decriminalization means that folks would still have more control yeah and legalization would mean that the state would kind of come in and maybe start to profit off it or maybe to make rules around it yeah and decriminalization would simply mean that folks would not be prosecuted for engaging in it. Right. So I think yeah. The folks would just have more control over it as opposed to the state getting involved.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I guess like, um, yeah. Um, um, I listened to a podcast called Against Everyone with Connor Habib and he interviewed someone named Maggie McNeil who, that mm-hmm. um, was a good, is a really good podcast. I recommend it. Um, and uh, they were talking about that as well. Um, uh, yeah. I guess like, um, I would say like, you know, if, if, if you need to be, pay taxes you should pay taxes though if you're a worker right am i like i mean the same way that we ask like rich people to pay taxes like
1: i'd be more concerned with like i mean i think twitter and amazon twitter amazon and google if all those folks pay taxes you know like people who make exorbitant amounts of wealth yeah i feel like should be the ones to i'd worry first about paying taxes as opposed to oh yeah yeah no any yeah uh, yeah in in regards to priorities Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah like um I always, like, because I, I always just sort of think about that, like, because, like, with legalization, it's, like, you know, um, uh, I, th- I think, like, um, I understand, I understand why people fear that, because, yeah, the state can come in and just make, like, arbitrary rules, and mm-hmm. on that Connor Habib podcast, I think they brought up some examples of, like, um, certain municipalities just, like, bringing up, like, oh, you can't put this poster up between these hours, and we're going to fine you for that, mm-hmm. Um can legalization though, like make like say like let's say let's equate it like to something like the Food and Drug Administration. Yeah. Is that a possibility with sex work? Like somebody just comes in, they're just like, "Hey, uh, you know, I, I mean, this, I, this place been like you know decontaminated or whatever." I you don't, know.
1: I mean, I feel like someone who's like a, who's working for themselves, it's like they're 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 using their own body, so I feel sure. like they, they have should an have interest
2: in doing. Yeah, this, they know.
1: should have like the control and the say over what's best for them.
2: Sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah, like, I just wonder, I was just wondering about that, like, because, like, um, you know, uh, in the same way that, like, we wouldn't want, like, a company that sells, like, a food item to just, like, not ever, like, we're just going to put this product out that we know Mm -hmm. is contaminated, but we don't care. You bought it anyway. Um, I don't know. But, like, you're right. Like, I mean, there's a difference between, like, you know, somebody actually, their body is the like, what they are providing as a service, actually. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm trying to learn, actually. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, forgive me on that. Um, and then, um, what else was I going to talk about there? Yeah, um, but that's, like, I, th- I feel like it's interesting, like, how also... When you marginalize a community, like, let's take sex workers for an example. Like, when you marginalize a community, like, anything that's done to that community can be done to anyone else. Yeah. And so, like, kind of pulling this around to, like, San Francisco, like, what we started this with. Like, um... You know, uh... We thought of homeless people as just homeless, like they made some bad choices, they were on drugs, or these are some like drifter dudes like coming through to like get score some free like drug, you know, score on the street and stuff like that. Like our mainstream media paints that picture. So we marginalize like homelessness as a group. But apparently, like from what you've been describing about the developments in San Francisco, a lot of respectable people joined those ranks, it seems, right?
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't even necessarily use the word respectable even because it's like my whole thing is I have, I'm far more scared of a businessman in a suit than I am someone living on the street. For yeah. instance, like it's yeah, just it's, it's this idea of how yeah, I guess how things are framed and how people are maybe afraid of what's unknown. Yeah. Um. Yet the folks who cause the most harm are are businessmen, in my opinion. Oh yeah, and yeah. More profiteers.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. And um, you know, um, but it's I I just think about it this way, like you know, what we do to one group of people, like it's almost like the our society is basically and the powers that be are basically saying that we could do this to you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sort of, I've always, I've been thinking about this a lot, like how much like racism is developed to keep white people in line just as much as it is to keep other people in line. Cause if you bring violence, like if the state, like when you look at like police brutality, for instance, uh, and you bring violence to another community and there's no sort of punishment for it. And, there's no stopping it and people just get off and you know, there's no jail time served for that or anything like that. Whereas like other people, uh, like in the black and brown communities, like they serve jail time for really frivolous shit, yeah. like drugs and stuff like that. Um I almost like feel like it's basically there to send a message to everybody else of like, here's what we can get away with doing. Mm-hmm. We can kill you if we want to. Uh, you know, we can displace you and make you homeless if we want to. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you better not step out of line. Sure. And it seems to work. It seems to work. It seems like, you know, work on folks within mainstream society. It works on white people being like, oh, well, you should have uh, listened to the law. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I just sort of think like these things are, when the attacks on marginalized communities are basically also mm-hmm. designed to keep everybody who's supposedly, like, mainstream, mm-hmm. normie, in line.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it goes into the whole idea of, like, victim blaming, where instead yeah. of acknowledging that the system is designed to harm people, it's saying, oh, I'm going to blame that person who's being harmed because that means that that person, because people are afraid of something bad happening to them, so they'd rather separate themselves from that person. Yeah. and And also not question the system, because if, wait, if that cop is causing harm, then what else, you know, but this person, then the whole system kind of, you yeah. get to question everything else that's, you know, if there's that thing in improv, like, if this is true, then what else is true? Yeah, absolutely. And if, once you see, like, the first crack in society or the, in this, you know, th- how things are connected or the injustice system, yeah. then you begin to think, oh, well, but that's not fair. And then this is also isn't fair. And then this is also not fair.
0: Yeah, Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I guess, like, uh, from a systemic standpoint, so, like, you are... Not a capitalist, clearly. <laughs> no. um, what do you, con- like, do you, do you consider yourself, uh, What like, what, how would you describe your own politics?
1: Poli- I don't know. I used to say I was, like, an anarcho- anarcho-communist. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, there's also just different, I haven't read as much as I would like, and definitions keep on changing. Yeah. Something along the lines of, what well, hard to find, again, hard to find the words. I believe everyone yeah. should have shelter. So I'll perhaps talk about what I believe in, and then folks can come up to their own conclusions of how that's labeled, I believe. Sure in creating a world without prisons where people are rehabilitated instead of punished. Yeah. I believe everyone should have shelter, food, healthcare. I believe our priority should be protecting the environment. Yeah. And that should be and the, the reason that's been the, the biggest polluters of the environment have been like military and large corporations. Oh, yeah. So it's less on the individual and more on the people like the larger. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. Larger companies um, I believe in breaking up the banks. I believe in, mutual aid uh i believe in public transportation yeah i believe in accessibility that's something we didn't quite get to but also just recognizing how much uh, that's something i've also learned about recently in recent years is just how much discrimination against uh folks with disabilities there is in terms of access to, oh, yeah. to places and uh and just how much people have had to fight for equal access if that yeah and yeah uh so those are, those are some things I believe in and people yeah. can label that however they want.
0: And do you feel like uh, these accomplishments or, or like these sort of like um, what you believe in, um, can they be accomplished through the government? <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean like that's, no, and I ask that yeah. because like I wonder about this. Like I haven't read enough about I haven't read enough about anarchy, you know, mm-hmm. I only sort of like, so there's a stereotype, stereotype about anarchy that like, it's just people throwing like Molotov cocktails into buildings and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's really not what it is. I mean, the original meaning I believe was like about like living by a, like your own rules. Like mm-hmm. you develop a set of rules and you live by them. Yeah. And um, I guess like that's great for an individual. It's hard to do that in a society where everyone's so different, but like um I've just been thinking about like, yeah, like if, if you can't make those changes through the government, through the system that we Mm -hmm. have, like how can we make those changes? Is it about like just getting off the grid and living somewhere else? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, even folks who try to do that are then like there was folks who were collecting rainwater for instance, and you hear folks who try to live off grid and then they don't, you know, the government doesn't want that to happen. But I think back to an example was from last year in San Francisco, uh, folks were occupying the space outside the ICE headquarters, Yeah, and they were there for over a week, and I think, I want to say around nine days, I don't quote me on that though, but folks had set up barricades, they blocked the doors, they blocked the full street in front of the headquarters, mm-hmm. and they prevented deportations from happening in Northern California, that's where all the Nor- Northern California yeah. uh, deportations were happening or being processed for like over a week. That did not happen through the government. It did not happen through people signing petitions, anything like that. It was direct action. Yeah. So I feel like that people coming together, and the way it was broken up was the fucking cops came in. Even though San Francisco is supposed to be a sanctuary city, the cops had some stupid agreement with ICE, and they came in, they started arresting people. And I know folks who were arrested and fucking traumatized by the police, all for trying to prevent families from being separated from one another.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, like, well, that, that group of, like, there's, like, no more deaths, I believe. Like, they were leaving out water for people crossing yes. the border. And yeah. they got arrested. And yeah. I, think they, I think they got convicted, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the update is uh, at the time of this taping on that. Yeah. But, like, um, yeah, like, it's, I guess, like, that's what's kind of, like, how I, – I, so, like, clearly, like, there are a lot of people who are doing the right thing and they're good. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, like you just described, it wasn't the government that, like, decided, like, oh, we're going to be compassionate. Like, people had to force the issue there. Um, yeah, is there, like, how do we create a different civilization then? Like, I, I guess, like, that's the real question. Yeah. There's probably not a good answer for this. I don't yeah.
1: know. I mean, like my first answer would just be organizing. I guess I'm yeah. taking I've taken a few, like, labor studies classes, and it's really just been through folks organizing and getting, like, talk to your neighbors and yeah. going against, I think, a lot of what we've been taught, which is to fear one another, but... To get to know your neighbors, get to know who you live next door to and find out what you have in common and sharing information instead of relying on the state instead of and instead of also going to the police and if there's a dispute of some sort, like not calling the police, for instance, considering they they target black and brown folks. Uh, Look, I think a lot of it's just kind of creating our own way of being. So when the whole system burns down, we have something else to go. We already have something else in place. Right. Yeah, I guess so. And easier said than done. It's difficult. I think a lot of folks, most people, I think if you are alive, you've experienced some trauma and some pain and suffering in the world, and it's difficult to unlearn a lot of the, these behaviors. And yeah. also, there's a lot of fear. And I, I know for myself, sometimes I'm not operating from a place, I'm not at my best, my highest intelligence, I'm not operating at no. my best, like I make mistakes, I... Uh, it's really difficult to. I think one can have really good theory, and then if we're not enacting it, then it's almost pointless in a way. Yeah. So really, just trying to act on our, our beliefs, which is really hard, and also educate folks, speak the truth. Yeah. I think there's a lot diversity of tactics. There's a lot of ways to, to, to do it. It's just, but also recognizing that folks have been trying to do that for generations. Oh yeah. And that's just
2: kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Frightening.
1: It is. Is that there's so many forces against us, and at the same time it's necessary to try to create a better world because even if we don't see it in our lifetime it's possible it might happen in the future
0: yeah it's i guess like for me like i fully admit this i mean like because i'd rather just like be doing art stuff or doing other projects like doing like you know like that's the thing like i'd rather you know i i want to it's kind of like weirdly exhausting to fight everything all the time and i feel like that's that's what keeps happening is like it's always like up to like individuals the people to keep fighting against their own government to keep fighting against like these forces of oppression mm-hmm. that are ingrained into the systems into the government itself so it's like I guess how do you change that like I think like you know you you obviously explain this of like you know just on the street level just organizing with each other and making those connections um, yeah I guess like I guess yeah it's like how do you like how do we just change the government that we have uh, just just I mean I guess like there's one way of like you know direct electoral action like you see like electing individuals who can you know like you know like folks like AOC and Ilhan Omar seem to be mm-hmm. like uh, making a positive impact Definitely. and that's great and I guess I guess it's one way of doing it um, but yeah it's it's um it's just sort of like how do you – if you don't want to live your entire life fighting against the government all the time, is that is that not an option? Maybe that's just not an option. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily see it being an option. And yeah. I've heard from like folks who say it's it's not – I don't think it has to be either or. or. Like I, I, I think something I heard a while ago that I appreciate is that idea of you get folks in office not because they solve anything or everything but because depending on who you have in office might make organizing easier. So yeah. you can have someone like – those folks you just mentioned in office and they actually speak the truth and that can make things a little bit easier for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, that goes into whole other conversations about hierarchy and having people position of power yeah. and how does that work? And I think something that's rare is that with these folks is that they actually are listening to their constituents and speak oh, yeah. the truth when for so long, so many of the folks haven't been doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's like the thing about like, uh, like you mentioned Israel earlier, mm-hmm. um, like, it was such a big no-no in politics, like, on both sides, on, like, the right-wing and, like, liberal. Mm-hmm. Like, Democrats were even more, like, hawkish about Israel, probably, mm-hmm. than the Republicans are. Um, and that's sort of, like, there has been, like, this recent movement, like, a lot of people on the birthright tours who've yeah. left, like, they've they've gone to the occupied territories, mm-hmm. and I guess, like, some of them gotten in trouble for that. Yeah. And then, like, this whole blow-up with, like, like Ilhan Omar basically uh, talking about how the Israel lobby pays politicians, which is not anti-Semitic. That's just yeah. a fact. Um, and um, it's, yeah, there is sort of, like, an interesting sea change. Um, I'm not sure, like, maybe the internet's good for this, too, and it's mm-hmm. maybe done a lot of work of, like, people at least beginning to question our allegiances, uh... And sort of like what they believe in too. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I just wish like, you know, I, I spoke about this on my other pot on the last episode is that there's still just like all this bloodshed and it's still the same groups being targeted. Mm-hmm. And it's just still, it's still like these things fall harder on certain groups mm-hmm. more so than others. And so I don't know if I'm just like wishing, like if I lost a child, to like you know police brutality or something or an occupation or something it wouldn't give me a lot of hope I wouldn't feel great uh, maybe I'm just selfish but like it's not that comforting to like say like okay well generations down the road it's all gonna mm-hmm. be good so yeah it's just sort of like it's it's there's more of an awareness happening but it's just like it keeps happening mm-hmm. that's the problem yeah so, it's almost like the peep the, fa- the also the oppressive forces like they know they're being watched and they're just like we're gonna keep doing this we don't care yeah you know it's like like how many times like do we've seen so many like police videos now Mm -hmm. of brutality or people getting killed and it hasn't stopped um we've seen so many like even like the white person calling the cops for something stupid on a black person and that Mm -hmm. still keeps happening like Mm -hmm. it's like there there's no it's not like it gave like you know white people pause it's like um, i'm still gonna call we're gonna still have videos of that so it's like Yeah, it's just the. It's just like people keep fighting against it. There's more awareness, and then it just keeps happening. So I. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not feeling very hopeful right now, but that's just me.
1: Yeah, I also feel that way. Yeah, often from time to time, and. Yeah, and at the same time, like if I don't, at least, I mean, maybe it's foolish to have hope, but I'd rather have hope and be like disappointed than. Uh just give in
0: oh yeah of course yeah you definitely yeah I mean certainly it's not a call to stop fighting yeah. but it's like
1: yeah and it's also yeah it's overwhelming too where it's like I feel that way too sometimes where remembering to take a break or to take a step back where it's like also it's not up to me to so- solve everything like there's a I think from the Talmud there's a saying where it's like it's not your duty to like solve everything I'm totally paraphrasing and it's far clearer in the the actual crow, but it's like, it's not your duty to like fix everything or solve everything. Um, it's like not your responsibility. Oh, what is it? <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not your responsibility to solve it. But on the other hand, and, or, and also, yes, you mu- must not abandon it yeah. or something like it's something in between where you're, it's recognizing that it's larger than any of us. It's been going on for generations and generations and generations. Right. So it's finding that balance between still taking action and also remembering that we're one piece of the puzzle to try to solve things or not only solve things, but to at least work for a more just future
2: yeah yeah definitely okay cool
1: Ugh.
0: yeah that's uh it's not a bad way to end uh the interview I think uh uh yeah is there anything else you want to talk about
1: oh there's one brief comment and that was um yeah, yeah. just the, the use of the word I see a lot which is um using dark as a syn- synonym for something bad is yeah like oh we're having, living in dark times and how um a friend of mine commented that it's in a way there's like anti-blackness with that, where that, oh, okay. rela- which I hadn't, which I had until I heard that I hadn't made that connection. Like even mm. though, from the film, the darkest hour, which I have a lot of issues with where I'm like, Oh, oh yeah, their the, yeah. the, the, the problem is like fucking white supremacy. So why is that synonym? So something in terms of like language where seeing how something that's so like in the subconscious, even where yeah. like the way, way, the way one uses language and thinks about things and how that can kind of inform um, unconscious behaviors. Yeah. And it's, so I think about that. So that's one thing that I've been working on is to, no longer use that word um to describe something that's bleak or dangerous or difficult.
2: Oh
0: yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. light and dark. Um also like you know, you know what like I want to connect that to just aesthetics and art like cuz I was you know talking about like how I'd rather be focusing on that anyway. Darkness is beautiful sometimes. Like, I mean, I, I prefer the nighttime to the daytime. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's currently a dark time outside. It's like, no, that's actually awesome. So mm-hmm. I think, like, yeah, like, uh, the dark being connected to the negative um, and then, like, you know, negativity be con- being connected to uh, blackness mm-hmm. or dark color or dark skin uh, is a really interesting connection. Because, um, like... Um, dark i like dark art i like you know pictures where like they play with dark colors so mm-hmm. like darkness is really beautiful actually so if i'm living if we're saying that if i if i'm saying that we're living in dark times and i don't and i really mean like bleak or um uh or horrible times mm-hmm. i should say that because we're living in dark times could also be beautiful cuz like darkness like in a painting is really beautiful darkness outside the night sky is really beautiful so um and you know films books things like that that deal with um you know darker subjects or whatever are really beautiful too so that's in, that's interesting i've I haven't considered that yeah that's a good that's a good uh oh, that's interesting yeah yeah That'd that's kind of cool
1: yeah thanks to Ken folks for mentioning that yeah
0: so, <laughs> yeah, yeah totally man'
1: yeah Constantly evolving and learning a lot more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, anything else you want to touch on that we didn't no. touch on?
1: Oh, I think we got to quite a lot. There's a lot to unpack and process. So I appreciate having the opportunity
0: Dude, to, to speak. Thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Yeah. Um, folks, this was Roman Reimer uh, in the studio of Paradox of Civility Studios, which is just uh, a bedroom. It's not really a studio. Um, so sorry to disappoint any of you. My one fan out there. Um, so, Roman, tell us about your uh, radio show again.
1: Yeah, it's called The Weekly Review. It's on Mutiny Radio, which folks can find at mutinyradio.fm. We're on Fridays from noon to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we have an archive of previous shows that are up on the website as well.
0: Okay, great. So be sure to go check out uh, The Weekly Review. And, Roman, thank you again so much for uh, being
2: on the show today. Thanks, Roy.